Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. We have to have journalists telling the stories. You have to have those people as overseers to keep and hold people accountable. So it's it's an interesting time. I'm interested to see the direction it will continue to go, but my hope is that people recognize that journalism is essential. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm so glad to be back with you here today. My co-host Mary Beth West was not available today, but we are moving forward, getting back on schedule with the bi-weekly release of our podcast every other Wednesday. We took a bit of a hiatus this summer. We both had a lot of travel and just needed to take a little break and spend more time with our families and friends this summer and now fall is in the air and it's time to get back to reality and get back into the real life of producing this podcast and hopefully bringing you important and interesting information to communicators everywhere. I'm so excited about today's guest. She is just a force in our East Tennessee community and she's also a personal friend of mine or both North Carolina girls, and that is Robin Wilhoit. She anchors weekdays on Channel 10, WBIR, 10 News at 5, 6, and the 10 News Night Beat. She was born and raised in North Carolina, but she's called East Tennessee home for over the past 20 years. She is a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, but her, her blood runs orange now, too. It happens to all of us once we get here, and we've been here for a while. So just a few days after she received her diploma, she uh, got her first position at WJHL-TV in Johnson City, Tennessee. And in 1992, she joined the WBIR news team as a reporter and weekend anchor. And eventually, she was given the opportunity to anchor the weekday morning newscast. So she's worked her way up. In 1998, she joined longtime Channel 10 anchor Bill Williams at the news desk, and that same year she helped to launch the important Buddy 10 check program to promote breast cancer awareness. And it's been her honor and privilege to share the stories of women and men who've bravely battled breast cancer. She's very passionate about women's issues and children. She does so much for our community. She serves on several community board organizations, including Variety of East Tennessee, which is a children's charity, The Next Door, and the University of Tennessee School of Nursing Advisory Board. Welcome to the podcast, Robin. It is so good to have you here. Kelly, thank you. Thank you for the invite. I am honored. And can I go with you to London, please? Uh, yes, you may. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I tag along. I'll take care of your luggage. <laughs> <laughs> I need a chaperone so I don't get in too much trouble shopping. <laughs> oh, y- y- I need somebody to, to keep get my trouble. credit cards in check. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robin and I, we Robin, we met in the most interesting way. We have um, a hilarious story about... Um, Robin's college roommate at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. We were both in the Miss North Carolina scholarship pageant in Raleigh the same year. And Kim was her name, right? Yep. Kim. Kim was doing an internship. Yes. Kim Pendergraft. 
she was doing an internship at WTVD and they were carrying the parent, uh, the, the pageant live. And there was Porter backstage and he was chatting with Kim and I was standing next to her. So she introduced me to him. And then I ended up marrying him. <laughs> <laughs> and so although then we got divorced and I ended up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Robin and I have kids the same age, and we were at the Mother's Day tea <laughs> in third grade, and she figured out that she knew me. <laughs> you know, it was so funny because my daughter comes home. She goes, Mom, one of the boys in my class, his mom was Miss North Carolina, and I'm <laughs> like, wow. And then, yes, when we came together at that little sweet Mother's Day event, I'm like, I know her, uh, you know, by way of my friend. You my were friend. there the night I yes, was. I was. And, you know, and Kim, of course, was like, you you won the crown and you were the person because you're so incredibly talented and lovely on the inside and out and, and still are to this day. But she had said, this woman deserves the crown. And and you did us proud in wow, North Carolina. That is so that is so sweet. And then, so my son, Fletcher, all through elementary school, had the biggest crush on your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and our babies are now adults. It's now they're kind of 23. Crazy to think. Yes. I know. Uh, um, yeah, he used to talk about Catherine all the time. And <laughs> and then I he called right before I was getting on the podcast. And I said, I have to go. I'm getting ready to interview Robin Wilhoit for the podcast. And he was like, wow, how did you get her? And I was like, well, we... We happen to be friends for 20 years now. Yes. <laughs> Almost 20 anyway. I know. But and so, it's flown by. <laughs> it has flown by, but you have a, a beautiful family. And it's um, so, so funny that two North Carolina girls ended up in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee for all these years. You are a gem to Knoxville and the state of Tennessee. And journalism wouldn't be the same without you. So, this is September is Ethics Month for public relations professionals. And since PR pros and journalists work so closely hand in hand, I'm just curious, what ethics issues do you sometimes face in the newsroom? Have you seen ethics issues arise over time in your career or increase over time? What is your perspective on that? You know, it's as critically important in our industry, as you said, in, in the world of PR. And yes, I think you have those situations that do arise. And, and it may be something as, you know, I I know this person and this person is involved in some sort of story. And it's it's pulling yourself away because you while you may know that person as a friend, you need to have that separation when it comes to telling stories. And so that's you know, something as minimal as that. And then beliefs. You know, we're all human beings. We all have our individual thoughts and beliefs. But you, as a journalist, have to set everything aside and look at it as a story, fact-driven, and go forth. And I think that's just the path we we have to take. I hope, and I think most do. But um, it's something you have to continually think about what are the consequences what are the alliances what and and really then make those separations in order to do the story right, the ethical right. way transparency is so important and that's one of our core values at at our company and 
one of the measuring sticks for what does it take to get fired around here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to be transparent. But, you know, statistics say that American trust is declining in journalism and your profession has been widely considered the fifth branch of government. And that trust has been impacted. And according to a recent survey, I saw that this was just from May of this year, journalists cite their biggest challenge is maintaining credibility as a trusted news source. 32% say that in combating accusations of fake news. And in the close second, journalists cite the impact of smaller staffs and fewer resources as having impact on their workloads. And would you agree with that? And what are your thoughts on the general state of journalism as a whole? You know, it it, it is an evolution. Um, I, I consider myself lucky in that I started in the industry, I guess, in the heyday, if you will. You had the resources, you had the people, you had the ability to go big. But as with many industries, you're seeing the employee base shrink. A lot of people are getting out of the industry to the point you were making initially that, you know, um, it, it it has been tough covering the news um, based on the world in which we're living. We have so many options right now. People are consuming from this this network or this cable outlet, and there's so many different views that people question what is right and what is wrong. And and so you have a lot of confusion, and then you have that fake news thrown out there. So that has presented a challenge. And in turn, for individual journalists, it's it's been a stressful. And a lot of people decided, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And that to right. me is scary, and it's dangerous, because we have to have journalists telling really the stories. Do. You have to have those people uh, as overseers to keep and hold people accountable. So it's it's an interesting time. I'm interested to see the direction it will continue to go. But my hope is that people recognize that journalism is essential. It's a high calling. It really is. If you do it right and if it's in your blood and soul. Allison Lester, who is your friend, who mm-hmm. um, was formerly WBIR and is now our director of media relations, she experienced and she's talked about it. So I'm not saying anything that she hasn't already said, but just about the day in and day out pace and trauma and making decisions and kind of living in fight or flight mode because that's just the news cycle that we live in. It's a 24-7 news cycle. And so one of the things that I've noticed that's changed ever since, yeah, I guess the evolution of iPhones and Androids and everyone has a camera all the time and a video camera on them and citizen journalism is a big thing. So we're seeing things on television that we never saw before because just regular people are recording it on their iPhones and sending it to news outlets. And one of the things, you know, I looked up, I was like, what were the five core principles of ethical journalism? Because, um, I remember learning about it as a as a PR major and their truth and accuracy, independence, fairness and impartiality, humanity and accountability. There are a lot of the things that you just said. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought, you know, has journalism lost its humanity? Because there is nothing to be spared. I mean, news outlets, especially some of them will air anything, you know, whether it's brutal, bloody. I mean, it's just it's hard to watch. And so how do you feel about that? Has broadcast journalism lost its sense of humanity? 
You know, um, I can see where some people would, would say yes. I think it's very individual. Yes, there is a shock factor out there, and it can harm, and I think it has harmed. What I have to ascribe to as a journalist, and I think WBIR does, is you have to be fact-based. Everything needs to be based on fact, data, sourced, and any of this other stuff that is gratuitous, if it is not supporting that, I mean, some of this stuff does not need to be in the public eye. It just gets things going in a direction it doesn't need to. But I come back to the truth, accuracy, and what supports that. If you're throwing these things out there for the sake of clicks or ratings, ratings. Um, if, yeah. that is, if that is your motivation, then that is a really sad place to be. Yeah. How do you make decisions? So when you get a really graphic video, how do you make a decision about how much is too much to put on the air? Kids are watching television. Absolutely. And that is that is one of the factors. We we get together and this is a, a discussion, um, an editorial discussion of is this essential to telling the story? Does it need to be a part of the story in order to tell it fully? If it does, we will have that discussion, and um, and I love it. Debate is essential in making these decisions, but that really is is the primary discussion. Does it need to be in the story to tell it fully? If it does, do you need to show all of it? Do you show a portion of it? So th these are discussions that we have regularly, especially in this day, as you point out, of citizen journalists throwing um, their video out there. Yeah, and I think for our generation, the first time we saw trauma on television was 9-11 because we had, you know, we had never seen anything like that on television happening in real time. And and now it's just something that we live in day in and day out. I have friends who refuse to even watch the news anymore, and that's scary, too, because they're totally uninformed and you can't make <laughs> voting decisions if you're totally uninformed. And, you know, recently... I heard rumblings that the Knoxville News Sentinel has decided to focus 100% on Knoxville coverage instead of the greater Knoxville market, as the newspaper historically has. And, you know, it served the outer counties just like um, WBIR does. And what do you think is driving this trend towards hyper-localization in news? I think a part of it is it, the people leaving the industry, your, your staffs are, are smaller. So you can't be as broad. But number two, there are opportunities now to be hyperlocal. You can um, have your publication online and you can focus on this one area and, and go do a deep dive. And I think that's the beauty of now that you can do a deep dive. But I still think it's essential. And I look at our role as a, as a news station. I think it's still very important for us to be broad. Right. We speak to more than just Knox County and Knoxville. We yes. speak to a greater region going up into eastern Kentucky and southwest Virginia. So we do need to broaden our scope. And as a matter of fact, we are trying to do that even more so. We are partnering with some regional newspapers, sharing their stories, giving them credit for it, but airing it right. so that people in those communities know what is going on in their community. That 
I think is on us and will continue to be our responsibility to speak to a wider audience. But I think it is good that we do have some of this hyper-local, and I think it's driven by a number of things. But as I said, um, when your staff is small, you have to you have to, you have to work with what you've you got, have, I guess. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So it sounds like it's a great time to go into journalism if if you if that's your calling. Absolutely. Um, I, it reminded me of another question I wanted to ask going back to the fake news discussion and determining what is fake news and what is not. And sometimes a friend will send me a link to something and I'll be like, there's no way this is true. And I guess I see it from that lens because... I'm in the business, and, and so to speak, and and then I'll go down a rabbit hole and I'll research the source and find out that it's totally not a credible source. And what would you recommend for people to do? You know how how do you determine what is fake news and what is not? I think people are in silos. They 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 stay in an area and only consume what they believe. My recommendation and suggestion is go outside of your silo and look and read things that you typically wouldn't and process that and then do what do the deep dive go in be curious don't just take what's being thrown at you as fact we can't be lazy when it comes to important information we may have to take it upon ourselves to do that go down the rabbit hole to get that clarification, to get greater understanding, as opposed to just believing what is being thrown at us. And so much is being thrown at us. So it's a matter of doing your own work. And this day and time, I think it's, it's pretty, we're, we're, we've gotten kind of lazy because of, you know, things are coming at us with this, but use this to investigate. Google is your friend and you can, (laughs) you can, Go down the rabbit hole, and you. I think that we've lost in this country, and and I hope that you know one of the things that I've always taught my son is critical thinking. Like looking, I remember the first time he saw this Kyrie Irving Pepsi commercial, and they're all out on this basketball court in New York City or somewhere, and it's at night, and they're playing a pickup game, and. But there's, you know, there's outdoor lights like you're at a stadium, which would not happen. And everybody's standing around drinking a Pepsi. And then Kyrie is dressed up like an old man and he gets up and he starts draining threes. And Fletcher believed it. I mean, he was just convinced that that was real. And so I said, okay, Fletcher, let's break it down. Look around. They're all drinking Pepsi. Okay. It's kind of like, the analogy of you saying people staying in their silos and only consuming what they want to consume. And I was like, do you really think there'd be outdoor lights, uh, you know, on a pickup, you know, community ballpark basketball court? And it took him three days. He was so disappointed. But like three days later, he came to me and he goes, it was a Pepsi commercial, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a similar situation. It had, someone had shared something with me about, um, there was, a restaurant in Portland was dealing with issues of racism by going back to segregating restaurants. And I said, that cannot be true. That cannot be true. And I did my deep dive and actually found it was a satirist who, who put yeah. it out there, but it was taken as fact. And once again, y- you have to take those extra steps to right. to verify. And yeah. and I, it's, it's a lot. We're busy, but I just 
I suggest people take that. It's it's necessary. What Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. Now I think it has yes. to be verify, verify, verify. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'm curious, um, since you've worked with a lot of people on the on our on the other side, on the PR side over the years, and sometimes we get a bad rap for being, you know, only pitching one side of the story and contributing to the problem of ethics and journalism. And I wonder if you have experienced ethics violation with PR folks over the years. You know, nothing stands out to me. Um, Nothing jumps out. I look at it as you're doing your job, you know, and, and you're presenting us information or someone's story. It's our job to look at that and look at the news value. And there so often is. Can we build on what you give us? That, to me, is is the next step you take. But as far as um, anything that pops out specifically, nothing to the point. It's right there at the top of my head. But once again, I, I am that person. There are stories everywhere. And what we do is we rely on people, PR executives, yeah. Um, callers to the newsroom to provide us with those stories. Yeah, some are and ears. exactly. Ex- that's how we gather news. You you cast that net wide and you pull it in, and you see then the stories that come from it. Well, you are so highly involved in the East Tennessee community, and personally, I've seen you contribute your time before and after hours and on weekends to causes that you support, and I've seen you you know get up and host a luncheon, MC a luncheon, MC something on your dinner hour in between shows. And I've always wondered, how in the world does she do that? She must be working 24 hours a day. And what motivates you to do that? And do you think journalists have a responsibility to serve the public outside of your normal responsibilities? Because you're not getting paid for all that extra community service that you provide. I think each and every human being, given their abilities, has that responsibility, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a PR executive, whether you are a uh, someone who, you know, any walk of life that we're called as human beings to, to give what we can given our gifts and our talents and our abilities. And so for me, yes, I have the opportunity to be in a, a very blessed situation to be visible. But as a human being, I would do that anyway. But I hope my visibility then speaks to others that, you know what, you can contribute, you can do, because that's how you make a thriving community. And being a part of that community, you have that responsibility. So I see it more as a personal thing than I do a professional thing. Being in the world I am, I do have those opportunities to engage in those those um, causes that have become passions of mine. So it has helped me find those places where I want to contribute even more. That's a really inspiring answer. And thank you, because it is important for all of us to figure out what we have to get back, what our unique talents are, and then how we can best use them to better society as a whole. And I think sometimes women in particular, we may sit back and think that we don't have anything to offer, that everybody else is smarter, has better ideas than we do. And that's absolutely not true. So you've inspired a lot of women in the area to get involved. And we talk a lot about women on this podcast, obviously, 
I've built a business around um, helping brands connect with female consumers. The name of the podcast is Misinterpreted for a reason. And so we talk in general on this podcast about issues, not only as they relate to communications, but also we talk a lot about the importance of mentorship and the responsibility we have as more I'll just say seasoned professionals to support and mentor young women. And what do you think about our role as, um, you know, being the the older professionals mentorship and helping them grow? And then what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> as far as mentorship, it is essential because I had mentors, one in particular who she helped guide me when I was this young pup reporter. And she would highlight the good. She would point out the not so good and then help put me on that path. And I can't thank her enough because I needed her to to help me become a journalist, if you will. And so I received it. I feel it's important that I now give it. And I've had the opportunity to work with several young women, some even more closely, to hopefully impart to them what I've learned by way of my mentor. And I think it's just this beautiful evolution that gets gets passed on and passed on. And we need that. You know, you can do a job, but it's those mentors who are going to fill you in on those little nuances that are critically important for doing your job. So I think we have to, as women, particularly, support each other, number one, but then bring those others along who are just starting in their particular fields. So um, I think if there's one thing that we as women can do, it's that. Be a mentor and pass it on. Um, as far as what um, <laughs> what I would tell my younger self, Breathe, just breathe. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, I wasn't I think when very you're... good at modeling <laughs> relaxation to my child growing up, but now he's very high strong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think when you're just you're starting out and you want to do everything so well, and you want to be in this, and you want to do this, and you want to do this. Sometimes you just need to sit back, breathe, calm down, and go forth. And then also, I wish I'd done this too. Learn to say no sooner. Oh yeah. I think That's early on we 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 say yes to everything because I think by nature I, I I'm a people pleaser and and I want I want to contribute but you can only contribute so much until it you aren't contributing. So I think you have to realize what you can and can do well and prioritize that. I used to say I don't want to be a mentor. I don't have time to be a mentor. I can't even mentor my own team because I don't have time to breathe. And then I read an article about mentorship and an approach that was use examples instead of like what you said, you had a mentor who first focused on the positives of your work and then pointed out areas of improvement. And so I, I was like, well, I can do that. Like I've been I've made every mistake there is to make. Like I, you know, I can use examples. So now I have taken on the role as mentor, and I really enjoy it. And instead of saying "Don't do it this way," I will say, 
once I did this and this happened, and I'm telling you this so you don't make that same mistake because you're, you know, you may be close to making it. And there, and people, story compels the human brain faster than anything. And so I found that it really works because people will remember stories and examples and analogies of real life situations. And then that helps them to grow in their profession and really actually even in life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Lord knows I've made plenty of mistakes in my personal life too, but, <laughs> but you know, that we all, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> journalism like PR is a profession with a, you know, a huge female workforce. And personally, I'm seeing more female journalists in broadcast news than ever, even at the network level. And I just wonder, do you think it's been more difficult for you as a woman to make it in this business? Because I mean, you are at the top of your game. I personally have, um, I feel, have not faced any great obstacles, any great challenges. I was just afforded some opportunities, I hope based on um, the work I did, to, you know, make my way to a position where I feel um, I'm very privileged to be co-anchoring the main newscast of WBIR. So um, there have been times, though, where I feel given particular stories that maybe it was directed more to male counterparts as opposed to me because it may be perceived as more male-driven, if you will, or more of a guy story. And there was a time or two that I've called out my leadership. This has been over the course of my years, uh, my my career. So it's, and I, I shared with them, this is what I'm seeing. Help me understand your decision and I may or may not be good with that, but there have been a few times, but nothing that I think has has held me back. You mentioned women in journalism, and if I've got this right, and if I don't, then please, I stand corrected. But I do think women make up the majority of people in the world of journalism now, and that wasn't the case, as you know, years ago. Yeah, we're 70% female in PR, but only about 5% in top leadership roles in the larger agencies, which I think is why a lot of us leave and start our own thing, because then we can do it our way and and be our own boss and create the vision for what we want. And it's it's slowly happening at the higher levels, but it's taken a very long time. So we're getting there. It, It may not happen in our generation, but we're getting there. So I want to throw you one last hardball question. Okay. And um, I'm really curious, and this is probably, there's probably been a lot of them, but what is the hardest story you've ever had to cover from an emotional standpoint? And and how did you handle the stress of whatever story really just hit your soul, hit you hard? Oh, golly, there there are a lot. There are a lot. Now, how... How you deal with it, for me personally, what I have to do is I, I have to, at the end of my day, go home and just disconnect, whether that be taking a walk or watching Netflix or, you know, you just kind of have to put it in its place, walk away and try getting that right headspace because it does have, we're humans. How can it not impact us? Some of these stories that we've covered, we've seen over the years. So for me... There are are many, you know, the the wildfires in 2016 um, to talk to these people who lost 
everything. How can you not feel and to see the devastation? The Shannon Christian, Chris Newsom case, um, we covered that. That was constant for years, really. And I, I, anytime I'm covering stories impacting children, that, that really is one that gets to me because I think as mothers, we put our, our, our children in those places. What if? What if? But I think most recently, um, I did a story that kind of brought it all back to me. The mid-90s, uh, there was a family who was from Knoxville coming back from uh, a conference in the Tri-Cities. They stopped at a rest stop. They were kidnapped. And the four of the four family members, the mother, father, and sister, were shot and killed. The two-year-old was left, found. And we covered that story. It was the Lily Lid murders. And we covered that story for a very long time. And that little two-year-old boy, you know, how could you not get emotionally connected to him? We followed him. Well, fast forward 25 years later, I just recently met up with him and did a story with him. And it kind of brought the story full circle. And those feelings that I felt initially, the emotion, brought it back to a degree. But then to sit down and talk to this young man, who's now 27 years old, who as a two-year-old does not remember it, but he is living this full, happy life. He is still, you know, bearing the scars of what happened. He was shot. He, he is challenged in walking. We lost an eye, but he's living a full life. For me, that was kind of cathartic right. because I could see there was hope that came out of tragedy, and that's how I have to so. process things. Yes, exactly, that you have to find the hope. And that may sound cliche, but, but it's what I have to do. Do you ever just want to go in the closet and cry? I have. <laughs> yeah. And and I've teared up on air. And as a journalist, you know, you're not supposed to show your emotions. You're not supposed to. Right. But as I go back to what I was saying before, we we are human too. And we feel and and we see sometimes the um the injustices and, and everything that is wrong and you can't help but sometimes show it. Yeah, and that's what makes you um, such a special anchor and contributor to our community. And thank you so much for being here and sharing oh. your story and your perspectives. And um, you're such a inspirational woman, not only from just a journalism perspective, but just you're just a, an amazing human being. And oh. I'm so proud to call you my friend. And now well, I'm I am teary. <laughs> I know you're getting me teary. I, I am beyond honored to be a part of this. And I am so grateful for you and that we've been able to reconnect after all those years. I know me too. Well, you can follow Robin Wilhoyt on Twitter at Robin WBIR and catch her on the evening news on WBIR at five, six and 11 PM every night. I don't know how you do it, but <laughs> caffeine, caffeine, <laughs> Caffeine. <laughs> Caffeine. Don't forget to follow the Misinterpreted Podcast and social media as well. You can follow me on Twitter at KD Fletcher, and that's KD as in Kelly Dawn. Please follow the agency at Fletcher PR, and you can also follow my co-host at Mary Beth West. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for a topic that you would love for us to cover, please email me at kfletcher at fletchermarketingpr.com and look for us under the hashtag Ms. Interpreted, and that's Ms. MS Interpreted, and for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. It's easier to find. And thanks to our sound engineer, as always, Chris Hill of Knoxville-based HumblePod. 
He's at HumblePod.com. Thank you for being here today, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 